Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. I'm super excited to have a special guest on the pod returning from last year as well. It's Mr. Thor Nystrom from Roto World. Thor, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I'm pumped. I everyone out there, I was I was telling Paul before before that we started airing it that this is becoming my post draft tradition. Like I, I love running through the draft with you, love talking draft with you. So pumped to be here. Absolutely. And I was telling Thor also that we're gonna have to make it more than a once a year thing because he's one of the great minds in talking about college football, the work that you did before the draft, the work that you did, you know, since then, absolutely top notch stuff. I mean, your big board, your positional previews were absolutely must reads over there at Roto World. And now the dust is settled. I know here at Saturday Sunday we've been churning out podcasts, you know, talking about dynasty rookie rankings. I did a podcast every single night of the NFL draft with my quick thoughts on every single pick but now we like to kind of break it down a little bit team by team and that's what we're going to be doing tonight we're going to do the nfc today you know we broke it up i took the east and the south you took the north and the west and we're going to go through rattle off team by team what they did what our thoughts are quick thoughts from the other person as well on what we thought about their drafts and really break it down team by team. So Thor, I'm going to get right into it and kick it off here with the NFC East. And I'm going to start right with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, Cowboys obviously didn't have a first round pick. So the idea of getting Amari Cooper a little bit 
also a part of their overall draft analysis, which was outstanding value. But in the draft itself, in, in round two, they took Tristan Hill, defensive tackle out of Central Florida. Round three, Connor McGovern, guard out of Penn State. Round four, Tony Pollard, running back out of Memphis. Round five, Michael Jackson, cornerback out of Miami. Also in round five, Joe Jackson, defensive end out of Miami. Round six, Donovan Wilson, safety from Texas A&M. And they rounded it off in round seven with Mike Weber, running back from Ohio State. And Jalen Jelks, edge from Oregon. In my opinion, my favorite pick, I love the Tony Pollard pick. I think he's a versatile chess piece like a Naheem Hines. I think he adds a different dynamic and element to their offense that they didn't have there. So I like that pick a lot. In terms of value pick, I like Joe Jackson, defensive end out of Miami. I thought he was going to be more of a you know late round three, early round four guy. So to get him at the end of round five, I think adds another nice piece to that defensive front line. I think in terms of questionable picks, I like Tristan Hill, the player. I thought end of the second round was a little rich for my blood. He's a guy who technically wasn't even a full-time starter, but he's a playmaking, Baritech, disruptor. I get it. I thought it was a little early, even though I liked the player. So that's probably the pick that I would say is most questionable. I thought they had a solid draft, especially when you consider Amari Cooper as their round one pick. I mentioned Hill's upside, but a little bit early for my liking. I like the McGovern pick, add more depth to that O-line. Last year's first, you know, second round pick, didn't have a great rookie year there. Uh, the offensive lineman out of Texas. So I think they need more pieces there. I like Mike Weber in round seven. I thought he was flying a little bit under the radar. And I, I thought he can go in round five. So I like the round seven value there as maybe a potential, you know, backup to Ezekiel Elliott, because I really don't think him and Tony Pollard are very similar in terms of what they're going to be asked to do. So overall, it was a solid draft. Thor, any thoughts on the Dallas draft and, and what you felt about it? Yeah, I was I was quite a bit lower on it than than you were. Dallas was was one of two Fs I gave out this year in in, in my grades. And uh, you know, I, I want to say from the outset, when I do my grades, I don't bake trades in. Yeah, I I just think it gets too wonky. You know, like you know, uh, following some of these outside. So, you know, some of them like the Cooper ones more straightforward or the Rosen one. But you know, some of these trades, you know, it can get pretty convoluted. So with me, I'm just basically judging the guys that you got with the slots. You know, that that you used to take them. And I thought, you know, in terms of that, I, I thought it was a pretty poor draft. By by Dallas, I I agree. Um, you know, starting with Tristan Hill, and and I like Tristan Hill. I in fact I thought I liked him quite a bit. You know, I I ranked him ninety second overall. Um, I saw the Tristan Hill thing. You know, um, but taking him at fifty eight. Uh, seemed like a pretty, um, I, I, you know, it wasn't the most egregious, uh, reach that we saw, you know, in, in, in the first two rounds or whatever, but it was, it was, it was a pretty big reach nonetheless. Um, and I thought basically Dallas sort of overdrafted from there. You know, I, I had, uh, Connor McGovern 151. Uh, he, he ended up going 90. Pollard, I, I understand what you're saying about Pollard. He's going to be an interesting player, you know, like for, for fantasy guys and stuff like that, especially if you're playing in a PPR league. You know, I, I think you take uh, Tony Pollard hope, hoping that you found a guy like Theo Riddick or, you know, something like that, a guy who can can get a lot of catches and stuff like that. So I, I understand what they're doing with that. It's just that, you know, the, this is a very deep running back class. You know, there was guys that went undrafted that uh, personally I think are, are better players than Tony Pollard. Divina Zigbo uh, would be would be one of them. Um, and, you know, there was guys that was, were going later on there that that I like. Now, to, you know, to your point, and, and in Dallas's defense, 
uh, Tony Pollard does have a very unique skill set. And so I understand if that's the kind of player that you want, um, you know, if, if you're just looking, you know, maybe you're moving Tony Pollard even off the running back line and you're, you're viewing him more as this sort of weapon, this guy that you can put in the slot sometimes is, you know, the straight receiving back at other times can give you special teams value, stuff like that. If that's specifically what they wanted, I can see why there would be a smaller board for those guys and they sort of pri- prioritize getting them higher. So I can, I, I can at least understand the argument for that, you know, using a fourth round pick on him. Um, as far as the best picks, I, I think you and I sort of see this similarly. I didn't like any of Dallas's picks outside of the two fifth rounders. Both of them were Miami kids and both of them were ones that I thought were going to go higher. Michael Jackson, uh, you know, he's a kid who contributed for a long time at Miami. Um, I, I rated him 120th, uh, the 15th cornerback. And, you know, what was odd about him falling is that he tested as a 90th percentile spark athlete. So he'd already sort of proven the concept, you know, in, in cause he wasn't that, you know, a shutdown guy like DeAndre Baker or anything like that, but he'd been a good, you know, college cornerback in the ACC for a while. And then he came out and he tested well. So I was, I was, I was pretty surprised by that. And then uh, the other one, you know, being Joe Jackson and, and Jackson was a kid that I was a little bit higher on because he was very productive at Miami. And when you watch him, He's one of those guys where it's where it's kind of wonky because he's winning in ways that like you 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 aren't sort of accustomed to seeing and so you you know it, it's it's harder to to project you know he's he's sort of like this sort of wild child kind of power kind of a guy um, and he, he he just sort of is accruing these stats but you're wondering like is that going to um, translate you know when he's going up against more power tackles in the NFL like does he have sufficient athleticism to win in a different kind of a way. And then he goes into the pre-draft process. He was one of those guys where I think he skyrockets if he tests really well and he was going to plummet if he didn't. And unfortunately for, for Joe Jackson, he did not. He tested in the second percentile, which is the reason that he free fell down the board. I still rated him 131 overall because he was so productive at the highest level. I saw Joe Jackson beating NFL tackles at, at Miami. So for me, at least, you know, I would have been willing to take that. You know, I, I think the juice is worth the squeeze, even th- what we know about his athletic profile in the fourth round. So I thought, you know, being able to pick him up there was was pretty nice. But, you know, you know, by and large, I was low on very low on the draft class. I thought Dallas did better with the UDFAs. I, I think I ranked him as the ninth uh, UDFA class. And then I have a column coming out tomorrow where I'm pushing together uh, both the draft classes and the UDFA classes and trying to give one all-encompassing uh, grade, you know, based on a draft haul against the amount of draft equity that that specific team had to spend. Um, Dallas, and so that that's pure math. You know, I, I had the the kid I work with, Hayden, who's just a math whiz and an Excel whiz, uh, put together formulas for me. You know, that, that weighted the top of the board and then you know weighted the rankings, weight, weighted the draft slots. You know, like a Jimmy Johnson kind of a thing with the, with the draft chart, whatever. In that thing where it combines both, Dallas ended up finishing thirty. You know, so they, they did get a bit of a, an uptick because of the the UDFA class. But uh, yeah, by and large. I wasn't high on what they did. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think everything you said was spot on there. Like, obviously, I don't go through and do the grades at, at the depth that you're doing it. I think a lot of the picks that they did make were some reaches besides the Joe Jackson pick, to be honest with you. I do think Pollard, if they're looking to make him a regular running back, then yeah, then I think it's a horrendous pick. If they're looking to use him in a variety of ways, like I mentioned, in a Naheem Hines style slot, jet sweep, some running plays, kick returner, then I can kind of see the value there. Uh, so yeah, so I'm going to keep this going. Let's take it right to the New York Giants. Uh, favorite picks there. I'm going to kind of put the favorite and the value picks kind of together because I think they're both uh, my favorite picks, but also both 
presented really good value. And that's going to be Julian Love, the cornerback out of uh, Notre Dame. He was their fifth round pick. And then Darius Slayton, the wide receiver. I'm sorry, Julian Love was their fourth round pick. And then Darius Slayton was their fifth round pick out of Auburn. I thought Slayton was a guy who come off the board early on Dapery. So they got him, you know, a little bit later there in Dapery. I think he stretches the defense. They needed a guy like that. And then Julian Love, I thought was a round two cornerback. I think he's got the versatility to be, you know, a nickel corner inside, could play a little bit outside. But the rumors are they also are looking at him maybe as a as a free safety as well. So I really uh, thought that was present great value there in the fourth round. So those are probably the two picks that I like most. Uh, got so excited to want to get into the swing of things. I didn't even kind of run through uh, what their picks were. So obviously it started for the Giants. They had three first round picks due to the trade up, you know, at the end of the round one and the Odell Beckham trade at pick six. They took quarterback Daniel Jones out of Duke. At 17, they took Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle out of Clemson. And then at pick 30, they traded up DeAndre Baker, cornerback out of Georgia. They didn't have a second-round pick because they moved up. In round three, they took O'Shane Zimenez, the edge out of Old Dominion. I already talked about Julian Love, their fourth-round pick. Their fifth-round pick was Ryan Connolly, the inside linebacker from Wisconsin. Their other fifth-round pick was Darius Slayton. We talked about round six was Corey Ballantyne, the cornerback out of Washburn. And then round seven, uh, the tackle from Georgia. I'm going to butcher his last name, George Asafo Adelje. And then last pick of the draft for them was Chris Slayton, the defensive tackle out of Syracuse. I already mentioned who were my favorite and value picks. Questionable picks, obviously, right at the top, you know, with Daniel Jones, the value of the pick of him at six, him being the quarterback choice. I also thought there was some questionable decision about Dexter Lawrence. I like the player. I think he's very talented. But if he is just a two down run stuffer, then I think 17 is a little bit early. I think they see it as him being more athletic to be more of a disruptor in the backfield, even if he doesn't have big sack totals. You know, that's, I think, their reasoning there. And the Daniel Jones thing, I'll say about this. I, I crucified them last year for not taking a quarterback, and I would have crucified them again if they didn't take a quarterback this year. I don't think when you have an aging, declining Eli Manning, you could pass on a quarterback two years in a row in the top 10. So my, my complaints is I just, they picked a quarterback that I didn't want. I was higher on Dwayne Haskins and I wanted Daniel Jones. It sounds like the NFL was as high or equally as high on Daniel Jones as they were in on Dwayne Haskins. Could they have gotten him at 17? Probably, you know, we'll never truly know if there was a team interested, a team interested in trading up or whatever the case might be. Some had him as, a, you know, I had him as a round two value. So, so, so I get the, the Daniel Jones uh, situation there. It's going to be interesting to follow him closely. Overall, it, I was surprised they didn't go right tackle a little bit earlier, but I like some of their stuff after the first two picks. And like I said, I think Lawrence is going to be a good player. It's just, I don't know about the value there. So I like the Julian Love. I like the Slayton. I like the Zimenez pick. So I like some of the stuff they did. You know, if you, again, like I kind of counted the Amari Cooper in this, you kind of count the Sam Beal in here as well, but th- there's a lot of moving parts with this Giants because you got to count the Odell Beckham loss then. So, you know, as a whole, it, it still would grade out pretty poorly if I was putting a letter grade on this. And DeAndre Baker, I don't mind the move up there. They had 12 picks. You know, he was one of the top corners in the class. And and in terms of what style defense James Betcher wants to run, that press physical style, he was probably, uh, you know, they want their cornerbacks to really be able to tackle and be a little bit more physical than some of the other top guys. So I don't mind the move up there for Baker. So Thor, obviously Giants not getting too much praise for this draft class. I think you're, you know, you see it similarly. Anything else kind of stand out or you want to elaborate on that I mentioned? 
Yeah, you know, let's let's. I I just want to talk about the Daniel Jones thing really quick. I you know I I, I like that you know Gettleman. Uh, I suppose you know after you know taking a battering last year, they he took a quarterback. So I mean, in in terms of that, I I would agree with you that the one thing that that I disagree with and why I sort of buried him, and it's I and I'll say this too. I like Daniel Jones. I you know I was higher on him than most. I I gave a first round grade to Daniel Jones. He was ranked as my thirty second overall player. So I, I I'm not as low on Daniel Jones as some other folks. But even so, taking him at six, you just cannot do that. You know, and, and, and Gettleman came out after the draft and was sort of saying, you know, oh, well, Miami might have taken him or, you know, Washington might have taken him. That's just misreading the other players at the poker table. We knew that Miami wasn't going to take a quarterback in round one. We knew that they were in on Rosen. You know, and nobody was mocking Miami a, a first-round quarterback. And then Washington, if they had their choice between Haskins and Daniel Jones, how are you going to think that they're going to take Jones over Haskins, over the local kid who is rated higher by was, was rated higher by just about everybody. I I think some of this stuff by Gettleman has it, it's sort of a re-engineering of fact after after the fact to try to justify the pick, similar to what you saw John Schneider do last year. You know when he when he comes out the you know the press conference on Thursday night and he he gets defensive because people are like, what are you doing taking Rashad Penny in the first round? And you know uh, Schneider's trying to claim that teams were trying to trade for Penny after the pick was made, and it's like okay, man, like. <laughs> if, 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 if somebody wanted Penny at that slot, they would have taken him above you. Okay, no one called you, John. Um, you know, and, and and with Gettleman, my my whole thing is okay. You fall in love with Daniel Jones, great. Okay, awesome. You want to take Daniel Jones in the first round? Tremendous. Do it. Um, but you can't take him at six because there's there's Josh Allen there, there's Ed Oliver there, there's there's all these TJ Hawkinsons there, there's all these different Jonah Williams is there. There's all these different studs there. Uh, that that justified that slot where where Daniel Jones any reading of Daniel Jones cannot justify the top six pick he is not a unicorn prospect he he's not the kind of guy where you say okay well I know that you know that there's a couple Hall of Fame caliber front seven guys on the board but Daniel Jones man he's you know he's the next you know. Tom Brady or something like there's there's no reading of Daniel Jones you know no 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 sort of logical one that can lead you to think that, that you should just sort of throw your plans out the you know door to to bring this kid in no matter what the price is um, you know I I thought probably they could have gotten Daniel Jones at 17 but even if you're terrified that the Redskins are going to take him l- let's just say that you know the Giants had done the right thing and you know and taking a kid like you know Josh Allen or maybe, you know maybe they take Jonah or something like that and then Haskins goes off the board before the Redskins picked that would be the time where, where you're a Gettleman. Now you're sitting at 17 and you're like, all right, guys, now we got to get above the Redskins. Well, they, they had plenty of draft equity to do it if that's if that's what they decided to do. But the other thing that I would say is, um, you know, I don't know why you get tunnel vision on this specific prospect when you have a 2019 starter. You know, they, they're, they're starting Eli Manning for sure. Uh, th- this this coming season for sure. I mean, they you know they they've insinuated that it might even be twenty twenty. Who knows? Maybe twenty 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 one as well. So they they have that guy, and so you're you're gonna you know with that starter there, you're gonna overdraft a tier two quarterback in a terrible quarterback class. Uh, you know, when you eschewed the quarterback need last year in order to take a running back at two, and when next year the quarterback class is awesome again. You know, we got we got Tua coming in, we got Justin Herbert coming in. Some people like Jake Fromm. You know, there's there's all these different guys or whatever. Gettleman, in order to overdraft this kid that he's going to sit on the bench all year, 
in order to do it, he basically froze himself out of out of the next quarterback class. So if you know if the Giants finish with another top three pick, sorry guys, but you're not getting Tua. And I, I you know I just thought it was really poorly done on a number of different levels. Um, that pick specifically, the Lawrence pick, I, I thought that was a slight overdraft, but you know whatever if, if if that's what you wanted to do. The Baker thing, kind of the same. I had Baker thirty eight, he went thirty. I'm I'm fine with that. Where where the Giants sort of redeem themselves to me. Agree with everything you said about Julian Love. By far the best pick that that the Giants made. In fact, I had Julian Love ranked as you know if if you were just to do my rankings with the Giants class, I had him ranked as the second highest prospect that the Giants got, and I only had him one slot below Dexter Lawrence. I I really really like Julian Love. He he's a kid who shut down number one receivers at Notre Dame, and he came in and he tested well. You know some of these other shutdown corners that you know that we've seen in college these, these past couple of years, they went into the process and did not test well. You know DeAndre. Baker, you know, being being one example, Byron Murphy being being another one. Julian Love tested in the 60th percentile, and so I was just really surprised that he had proven the concept at the highest level of college football. Made you know made the playoff this year. We saw him against all these kind of awesome receivers, and then he comes out and he and he tested. You know, he didn't test as a freak athlete. He didn't test as Denzel Ward, but he tested very well. And so for him to fall to the fourth round. Uh, a guy that I rated as a late first round prospect and Paul had as a second round prospect. A lot of people had as a second round prospect. I don't know many people, I, you know, looking around, I didn't see many people that had Julian Love below a second round value. And I, I just think objectively, when you're looking at the data, that's just what he is, you know, whether he's a second round prospect or whether he's a late first. And so to fall that far was just tremendous value that, that, you know, got, got something back for, for the Giants. And I also thought they had a good UDFA class. Um, but yeah, as far as what they did in, in, in day one, um, and Zimenez was a fine pick too, but yeah, the the first round, I, I just, I, I thought there was a lot of squandering of draft equity there, so I gave them a D in the grade. And yeah, yeah. listen, I think I think right now, you know, it's on Daniel Jones to prove all those you know low grades are wrong, and in, unless he is really good, you know, th- those grades are warranted because they had an opportunity there to get a blue chip defensive end uh, edge player like Josh Allen, and then still maybe get Daniel Jones if he was, you know, the guy they needed to get. So there's a lot of ways they could have played that. Uh, the way they took, I don't think it was the ideal plan. So you know, they're getting criticism, and at this point, Gettleman should just say, "Listen, he was our guy. We loved him. We took him, and and and, and stop all the other stuff. You know, don't defend the pick. You know, you made the pick. Now back it up and, and just move on." So let's take this to the Philadelphia Eagles. They didn't have a lot of draft capital, but they really made a count in round one. They traded up, took Andre Diller, tackle out of Washington State. Round two, they took Miles Sanders, running back out of Penn State. Also in round two, a couple picks later, they took uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside, wide receiver out of Stanford. In round four, they took Sharif Miller, edge defensive end out of Penn State. And in round five, they took Clayton Thorson, quarterback out of Northwestern. My favorite pick was Miles Sanders. I love his three down potential. He was my number three running back pre-draft. And that was with having Rodney Anderson up there, you know, just on film alone. But I, I do think Sanders gives him a different element. I think they've been very much a committee back approach there based on the personnel that they had there. I think Sanders has an opportunity to really emerge there and maybe be, you know, maybe not 80% workhorse Saquon Barkley style, but I think he could easily become like a 65% guy there. You know, in time, they did just trade for Jordan Howard, but I like Miles Sanders upside a lot. So he was my favorite pick. I thought the value of Dillard, some people thought he can go top 10 or top 12 or top 15. And the smarts to leapfrog Houston for him, I thought was the best value pick. In terms of questionable, 
I there were some other wide receivers on the board that I liked more than JJ or Siegel Whiteside when they took him at pick 57 overall, you know, but they I think they envisioned him as an Alshon Jeffrey replacement in the future. But I thought maybe a, a guy who could stretch the field vertically more and be more speed. You know, Deshaun Jackson getting up there in age. I don't know if he's there for the long haul. So I thought they might. And Nelson Aguilar seems like he's on the outs there a little bit. So that was my only questionable pick that I thought maybe they would pivot uh, to a guy who had a little bit more slot capabilities with a little bit more quickness and vertical speed. Uh, so I like some other wide receivers there ahead of our Seagull White side, but I, very marginal in terms of questioning that pick. So overall, I like what the Eagles did. You know, in terms of the whole class, I, I, I think Dillard gives them great you know, depth on the O-line to eventually take over as a starting tackle. I like Miles Sanders, and I think Orsega Whiteside is a really much a clone of an Alshon Jeffrey-type replacement down the line. So I, I thought they did a good job with their limited picks. Any I, quick thoughts on, on Philidor? Yeah, and it, these will be quick because you you summed up my thoughts very well. The, the Dillard trade was awesome. Hopping the Texans, just very inspired there. Agree what you say about Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders, if you compare his, his statistical profile and also his testing profile, you put it side-by-side side with Clinton Portis, it will knock your socks off with how similar it is. I compared him to Cadillac Williams too, but that's you know that's kind of the phylum that you're talking about there. Uh, so I, I like that pick as well. And I also agree, Paul, with, with, with the guy that, you know, the biggest reach or whatever, the pick we were lowest on. Um, um, I, you know, I'm not going to nitpick the Arcega Whiteside pick uh, too much. He's a guy that I comp to a local kid here, Eric Decker. Um, so, you know, I, they're going to get value on him. He's a good fit for the offense, stuff like that. But I agree with you. There's a couple other receivers that I probably would have picked, but that's definitely a nitpick. I gave the Eagles an A minus. And when I put together their UDFA class and their draft hall with, you know, against the, the draft slots that they were in, I rated them seventh in the NFL. So I, I really like what they did. Yeah, I mean, I think that's well warranted, that grade. So I'm right there with you. So let's finish off the NFC East with the Washington Redskins. That pick In their first-round pick, they took Dwayne Haskins, quarterback out of Ohio State. Their second first-round pick after a big trade-up, they took Montez Sweat, the edge prospect out of Mississippi State in round three. They got Dwayne Haskins, one of his running mates, Terry McLaurin, wide receiver out of Ohio State. In round four, they took Bryce Love, running back out of Stanford. Also in round four, Wes Martin, guard out of Indiana. Round five, Ross uh, Pierschbacher, center out of Alabama. Round five, Cole Holcomb, linebacker out of North Carolina. Round six, Calvin Harmon, wide receiver in North Carolina State. And then round seven, Jimmy Moreland, cornerback from James Madison and Jordan Brailford, edge prospect out of Oklahoma State. In terms of my favorite pick, Dwayne Haskins, he was my he was my QB one in this class. So for them to sit at fifteen and get Dwayne Haskins, I thought was was a was a great pick in terms of value. Swooping back in and taking Montez Sweat in the mid twenties, if everything checks out medically, this is the guy who I thought was a top fifteen player in this draft. So I thought that's great value. And then I can't not talk about Calvin Harmon, who was my number three rated wide receiver pre draft, and I understood there was going to be some limitations in the NFL. Was not going to be as high on him as. I was, but I thought that meant worst case scenario early round four with everything else he brings to the table, body control, ball skills, winning at the catch point, ability to, you know, to dominate on the back shoulder throw. So I, I obviously think that's tremendous value, hoping he makes the team there and, and gets an opportunity, even though he's a sixth-round pick. In terms of questionable picks, Bryce Love, only because they already have a running back on the roster that's injured, and we don't know how he's recovering. 
So to take another injured running back who they're saying there could be some complications. I like Bryce Love's talent if he's completely healthy, but I thought that was kind of questionable. I love their draft, to be honest with you. Uh, their first three picks, I thought were, were really good picks. I like the Terry McLaurin. He reminds me a little bit of Golden Tate in his physicality, strength, inside, outside ability. And you got to love the comfort level. He gets to play with his quarterback. It makes both of them more comfortable. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought they did a good draft there. I, I was impressed with overall in terms of the Redskins draft hall. Totally agree. I they were one of two A plus grades that I gave out uh, this year, and and Haskins Paul was also my QB one. So to to get him at fifteen, I just thought was crazy. You you look at his advanced throwing numbers from the guys like do the charting and stuff like that. As a thrower, he is clearly better than Kyler Murray. I mean, Kyler Murray's got some work to do to catch Dwayne Haskins as a thrower, and he may, he may never get there. Uh, so I I love that pick. Agree with you also on on coming back in and getting sweat. I mean, both you know I had I had Haskins as the number nine prospect in the class, and and sweat is thirteen. So, you know, to get those two guys with the 15th and the 26th pick was just tremendous. The, re- the rest of their draft, uh, you know, I wasn't quite as I, I like I, I thought the Bryce Love uh, pick was inspired. Um, the, the Calvin Harmon thing was great. I mean, if the NFL wants to turn their back on 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 Calvin Harmon. OK, you know what? We'll, we'll take them in the six. Why not? You know, I I comped him to Laquan Treadwell. You know, I, I, I know that there's you know, that there's issues there, you know, in, in terms of separation and stuff like that. But. Um, you know, Kelvin Harmon, you know, just in terms of being a possession guy, I, I find it hard to believe that Kelvin Harmon isn't going to hang around for a while. We we know that he's a really, really good possession receiver. Now, see, is Kelvin Harmon ever going to be a star? No, pr- probably not. He doesn't have the athleticism for it. But um, I, I don't know why the NFL was low on him to that degree. Like, you know, I, I had him 78th overall and he ends up going 206. I I, I just don't know how all those other receivers went above Kelvin Harmon. We saw Kelvin Harmon beat a bunch of good, you know, an NFL caliber corners in the ACC. So I, I thought that stuff was good. The, uh, the the pick I would toss out that I, I just didn't really understand was the Wes Martin pick in, in the fourth round. He I believe he was the second guy that was taken that was not in my top 500. So that just kind of confused me, especially because there were some offensive linemen still on the board that, you know, if you either wanted to shoot high with developmental traits, there was guys who had, you know, way better traits than Wes Martin did. And if you wanted to just look at proof of concept on the field, there was also guys, you know, that, 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 you know, that had much higher PFF grades throughout the years, whatever. So I'm not exactly sure what they saw on Wes Martin that would put him above some other guys. So that would be my question one. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I I could have brought him up too when I brought up Bryce Love. Obviously, that was a little bit of a head scratcher as well. So there it is, the NFC East. Why don't you kick it off with uh, wherever you want to go with the NFC North? Sure. Yeah. So we'll we'll start with the Bears. Uh, in the third round, you know, the Bears obviously didn't pick in the first couple rounds because of the Khalil Mack trade. Uh, uh, third round, seventy three overall, they got the Iowa State running back David Montgomery, who was my RB one in the class. Fourth round, Riley Ridley from the receiver from Georgia. Uh, then in the sixth round, they kind of went off board. It, it took the Kansas State nickel guy Duke Shelley. Uh, and then in seventh round, they, they, they had a couple of interesting flyers on on guys with good athletic profiles and Kareth White Jr. Uh, from FAU, the backup to Motor Singletary there, and then uh, Stephen Denmark a small school kid who has tremendous measurable 64220 yeah, man I'm so excited I can barely even say it tested in the 98th percentile so man if you want to throw a dart on on a corner in the 7th round that's that's the kid to do it on um with you know Chicago's class was weird because they only had five picks and I thought they blew the two middle ones I I never understood the Riley Ridley thing I didn't get it from the start you know this is a kid who had 
you know, you look at his entire career, he basically had one good game at Georgia and it just so, you know, lucky enough for him, it just so happened to come in the national title game when he was facing his brother, who was the number one receiver in the next, you know, in the next class or whatever. And he soundly outplayed him. He was, you know, uh, Riley was the best Ridley on the field for that one afternoon. And I think that caused people in their evaluations to sort of, you know, look at him with rose colored glasses on. So I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't like that pick. He's a smaller guy whose athleticism is very low. You know, he had 15% athleticism, stuff like that. Um, and then the Duke Shelley pick, I didn't understand that one at all. I like, I, I just, I don't know what you're, you're seeing there um, in, in, in him. Um, but I love the first pick David Montgomery. What, what a slam dunk pick for Chicago. Just, just absolutely tremendous. I had, you know, like I said, I, I, David Montgomery is, as the first running back in the class. I, you know, I comp him to Kareem Hunt and that, that is not my comp. That is the comp of both of their college coaches, Matt Campbell at Iowa State, who also coached Kareem Hunt at Toledo. And Matt Campbell, basically, you know, when he brought David Montgomery, that you know, uh, Iowa State ended up being Montgomery's only uh, uh, FBS, or I'm sorry, Power Five offer within the FBS because you know uh, uh, Campbell had been looking at him at Toledo, and then he ends up going to Iowa State, and they weren't. Sh- <laughs> this is really funny. Campbell wasn't sure that they were going to have a scholarship for David Montgomery at Toledo because of the way that the running back room was there but then he goes to Iowa State and he's like we got plenty of room for you David you, you, you can come on over here and then Montgomery of course turns into a stud because you need a SWAT team to tackle the kid um so he's you know I see him as Kareem Hunt with the heart of gold he goes to the you know Matt Nagy I mean you know like th- there was already the parallels between him him and Hunt in in college and now you know he's going to get to go into a very similar scheme that you know that that Hunt excelled in you know when he was when he you know kept his head on straight or whatever so you know I I love that pick he I will definitely have future bets on David Montgomery to win the rookie of the year at whatever crazy it might be. I think it's like 25 to one or something crazy like that. Um, I'll be putting some money down on, on those odds. Cause I, I think he's got an okay shot. So I, I, I love the first pick the two seventh round picks. I, I, I like two thumbs up on those. Cause you just want to throw your darts on guys with good athletic profiles at that time, unless someone just free fell down the board. Um, and they did it with, with, with those two kids. Um, it was just, you know, it was a five player class, no premium picks and the two ones in the middle, I thought were airmailed. So I, I ended up giving Chicago a C for those reasons, even though I love the Montgomery pick. Yeah, listen, I think the Montgomery, and it was a bold, aggressive move up. I always love taking note of teams that really make a bold move up. They gave up, I think, if I remember correctly, a second round pick next year, which they, that's two years in a row now. They've made a trade, you know, in the draft to to move up and, and get a guy they've really targeted. So obviously Montgomery is is someone they really had circled and they wanted to make that move to go get him. So he's 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 a great running back. I think he's going to fit in perfectly there. So, so I'm really uh, excited. To kind of watch that. So take it to the next team. Yeah, so the next team are the Lions. Uh, at, with the eighth pick in the first round, they got my boy, TJ Hawkinson, tight end from Iowa. Second round, Jelani Tavai, the, the linebacker from Hawaii, who I comp to Vontez Perfect. Third round, got a safety from Boston College, Will Harris, kid who, who tested very well. Uh, fourth round, you know, moving into day three, they took the Clemson defensive end, the, sort of the forgotten guy there, Austin Bryant. Fifth round, Amani Orarie from uh, Penn State, the corner. Sixth round, Travis Fulgham, the uh, receiver from Old Dominion. Uh, and then later on in the sixth round, they, they took an interesting flyer on the Maryland running back, Ty Johnson, who uh, 
he he can do a couple different things in in his you know if you look at like his yards per carry average within the context of their situation there um he he was a guy that the analytics kind of like so it's it's pretty interesting that the Lions took a flyer on him there you know above where some other people had him rated um and then in the seventh round they took Isaac Nada a kid who was a five star recruit going to Georgia you know everyone was excited about him but uh never really produced much there and then he he went into the process and, and measured far smaller than we thought he was 6'3", 244. And then he tested as a sub fifth percentile athlete. So that's why he fell all the way down there. And then PJ Johnson was just sort of a, a dart throw on a defensive line. And I, I don't think that probably he's going to make it uh, as, as far as, as far as their class, I ended up giving Detroit a C plus, even though the, I, I thought the first pick was an absolute slam dunk Hawkinson. I rated him as the fourth overall player in this class. I, I think Hawkinson is a different thing than the tight ends we've seen coming into the league in the last 10 or 15 years. He can do it all. He's, He's the best blocking tight end that I've ever seen in, in college football. In fact, he's the only guy, you know, blocker in college football that has ever required me to call someone live while a game is going on and say, did you just see that block? And it happened this this past fall. It ha- happened three or four different times. Um, love that. And then also, it's not just that. You know, people, oh, you know, run game. Who cares about blocking? TJ Hawkinson was also the best receiving uh, tight end in college football this year. And, uh, you know, you could test that one in two ways. Uh, the, the other guy on their team was Noah Fant, who everyone thought was the best receiver receiver you know in college football tj hogginson was the number one option on that team from the jump he was not in 2017 but this year from week one on he was the number one guy that they were going to in money situations whatever um so he passed him and he also has the athletic profile uh to justify it a very athletic kid in college you'd see him um you know this past season you know he's getting more balls more targets stuff like that he had he does the the thing you know the safeties will try to do the thing where they take out his knees like gronk because it's just basically impossible to tackle the kid whatever um and 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 hawkinson has this has this awesome move which NFL fans are just going to fall in love with where the safety comes bearing down on him and is trying to, you know, kamikaze out his knees like that. Hawkinson just goes to the sky. He leapt over like, you know, eight kids this year. You know, he'll just keep trucking downfield. So love, love that pick. After that, I, you know, it was a pretty hit or miss. Uh, type class for me. I like Tavai. You know, I, I ranked him 67th, but taking him 43, you know, seemed seemed a bit rich to me. Um, and then, you know, the rest of their picks too is sort of, eh, you know, a, a, a couple of the early day three ones, I, I can definitely see it, but uh, the rest of their class sort of fell short for me. Um, I, but I gave him a C plus and above average grade, you know, primarily on the back of, of getting a guy that I think is just a next level type prospect in Hawkinson and a guy who, who who is less a, a regular tight end when you think about it in, his, in your mind and more of an offensive weapon, a guy that you, you know, you, he could do all these different things. He could be your lead blocker in short yard situations. I would did that a lot, put him in as a fullback. He could do H back things. He can be an inline tight end. You can put him in the slot, can do all different kinds of things. So I think they're going to have a lot of fun with TJ Hawkinson. I comped him to Rob Gronkowski. I, I think some of the comps to, that, that, that Hawkinson was, uh, was getting during this process, I think they did not go far enough. Um, so I, I love that pick, but the rest of the class was kind of mad for me yeah I mean listen I, I'm right there with you I really question their day two picks to buy I thought it was more of an early round four guy Harris I thought it was more of a round four round five guy so those were really surprising for me I didn't mind the Austin Bryan pick in round four I thought that was a pretty solid pick um as for Hawkinson, I love him. I mean, this was a, this was one that I, I was able to predict in my mock draft. I thought the Lions, you know, I know a lot of people thought the Jaguars or the Bills, but I thought it was really going to be the Lions were, were not going to pass him. Both those guys coming from New England, I thought soar the capability of him doing Gronk-like stuff for that. I'm one of those people that probably was a little bit more reserved in my comp and, and said a more athletic version of Hunter Henry, but with the caveat that 
he had the upside of a of a of a Gronk or a George Kittle as one of and he was one of the you know handful elite blue chip players in this draft class. I think I don't think the, this. I think there's more of a separation between him and Noah Fant than than some people want, especially in the Devi community. I think Noah Fant was the apple of people's eye for so long that they didn't just look specifically at this year and realize that Hawkinson was the clear best player. And that's not taking anything away from Fant. I think he's a very good player too. I think Hawkinson, you know, has elite capabilities. So I'm right there with you on Hawkinson. So keep it going with the next team in the in the North. Yeah, so we'll move on to the Packers. They had two first-round picks, obviously. Took Rashawn Gary, the edge defender from Michigan, uh, at 12. At 21, they traded up to get Darnell Savage, the safety from Maryland. Then with their two day two picks in the second round, they took the very versatile offensive lineman from Mississippi State, Elton Jenkins, probably start him inside at center. Uh, the next pick, what my favorite pick of their class was Jay Sternberger, the tight end from Texas A&M, who I think is an absolute stud. You know, I, I didn't have Sternberger too far back from from. Noah Fant, um, and then you put him in an offense with Aaron Rodgers. I, I just think that that is an absolute bonanza of a pick. I way re- would have rather had Jay Sternberger, for instance, than Irv Smith, which which we're going to probably talk about here in a second. Um, so I, I like that pick. And then they, they had four uh, late day three dart throws, kind of man, kind of picks. Uh, the Texas A&M uh, interior defensive lineman, Kingsley Kiki. Uh, the Toledo cornerback, who's Dane Brugler's boy, I was a little bit lower on him, Kadar Hallman. Um, the sixth rounder is a guy who interests fantasy guys. Obviously, the running back from Notre Dame, Dexter Williams. Uh, and then in the seventh round, they took a linebacker from TCU, Ty Summers, a kid who tested well, but sort of played meh in, in, in college. So I, I gave their class a, a C minus. I, I thought it was a, a very up and down affair for Green Bay. They, in the first round, I didn't really understand what they're doing. I don't know how you take Rashawn Gary at 12 when, you know, you got guys like, you know, uh, uh, Brian Burns is there, Jeffrey Simmons. Oh, well, Jeffrey Simmons tore his AC. I don't care. Like, he's going to be out for, you know, maybe the first two months of his rookie year. Who cares? You know, I mean, great player, you know, you know, objectively a, a top seven or eight talent in this class, in my opinion. Um, you know, w- once he gets healthy again, and if he hadn't torn the ACL, I, I think you could have made the argument that he was a top five overall talent. So, you know, to Montez Sweat, another one, you know, whatever. Um, Rashawn Gary, I, you know, he was a guy that was outplayed by Chase Winovich all three years of his career. He was outplayed by a lot of people in, in, in college. And, you know, the thing that I don't get about it is, you know, people's, you know, justifiably so is called Rashawn Gary, a boomer bust prospect. Cause that's what he is. He's basically a tweener. He's this kid who's, he's a very athletic kid, 95th percentile tested in six, four, two seventy seven. He plays on the edge. You know, he played a lot of edge at, uh, at Michigan. The issue is, is that he doesn't know how to play. He, he basically plays like an under talented fighter kid, like, uh, uh, Greg Gaines, you know, the, the interior defensive lineman from Washington who went in, day three of this class, you know, sort of like a country strong, try hard kid that doesn't have any athleticism. And so Greg Gaines is always bull rushing and trying to occupy blockers, stuff like that. That's what Rashawn Gary does. He he's basically is just like this North South guy. He's always trying to win like speed to power. And it's like, no one has ever explained to Rashawn Gary, like, bro, why don't, why don't you try to beat these like statue S farm kids, you know, Wisconsin tackles with speed and twitch. Why don't you try it once and see what happens? Um, you know, he would just try to fight fire on fire with a lot of those kind of guys. And that's why you saw his, the depression of, of his collegiate stats and stuff like that. I don't know if he's ever going to be a plus edge defender because to do it, he's, he's got to get nuance and he's got to learn 
period, how to play the position. That That's where his body and his athleticism indicates that he should be played. But he struggled there at Michigan, and they had an NFL staff. So you can't really do the, oh, well, when he gets an NFL staff, they'll figure it out. Jim Harbaugh and, and, and Don Brown at Michigan, that is an NFL staff. They could be in the NFL right now if they wanted to be. So that, that one is a real head-scratcher for me. Even if Rashawn Gary hits the ceiling, he's never going to do one thing as good as Brian Burns rushes the passer right now. So I, I just I don't understand taking him there. Darnell Savage at 21, I understood that one a lot more um, because of you know his unique skill set. He's a kid that you know can take people away in the slot. He's a kid who's awesome in center field, you know, as a free safety, and he's also a kid that can come up in the box. You know, that's, that's going to help him to run. He can blast people, and you know, in the flat and stuff like that. He's a very physical player, tremendous range, and because of the way Green Bay plays defense, you know, it's so aggressive, 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 and sometimes they're going to catch you, you know, with with, with your pants down, and the, you know the quarterback's going to he's going to panic and he's going to throw a ball up for grabs stuff like that but other times they're going to guess wrong they're going to bring waves of pressure on on plays you know where where the offensive coordinator got them you know and then in those plays you're going to have defensive backs that are that are on islands or you're going to need a free safety that can cover a lot of ground to get there to try to break up a play that could go for a long way so Darnell Savage fits all those different things he, he's a chess piece I understood all that stuff my only quibble with that pick is in this safety class, we had eight safeties that you could have made an argument to be safety one. You know, my eighth safety this year that I ranked was was Jonathan Abram, who ended up being a, a, a first round pick. You know, other people had, you know, different guys around there, but it went eight deep, you know, getting down in the Deontay Thompson and Chauncey Gardner Johnson, stuff like that. But there was those eight guys that, you know, you look around all the different lists. I, I think I saw one of those guys rank first or second on every single list uh, th- that was out there. And so because of the depth of the class, I think coming in, and especially once we got down to 20 and one of them hadn't been taken yet, we knew that at least one of those guys was going to fall to day three at minimum because there's not going to be a, a run on all eight of them, pluck them all off the board the next day. Um, and so you know that there's going to be some available. Is the difference between uh, Savage and a guy like, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson or Amani Hooker, is, is it so significant as to justify taking one with a top 21 pick when you could have gotten the other one at the you know top of day three? I don't know about that, but again, I, I do understand the fit and everything like that. So I, you know, less low on that one than the Gary one. As far as my favorite pick, I, I said it before, Sternberger. Um, I love that pick. So I, I ended up giving Green Bay a C minus because of all those reasons. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the C minus is appropriate. You know, Rashawn Gary too. After they went so aggressive in free agency to sign Darius Smith and Preston Smith, like it just seems a little redundant where they could have went pivoted to something else. And if they did want, you know, a more pass rush, I think Brian Burns, like you said, made a lot more sense because he's a lot more speed and explosive type pass rusher, a little bit different than as Darius Smith and Preston Smith. And I think Rashawn Gary is a little bit redundant there. My favorite pick was Sternberger and also the Elchin Jenkins. I think he could be a plug and play. A, you know, starting interior lineman there for them as well. So I thought it was an okay draft. Some of it I liked, like you, and some of it I didn't. So let's round up uh, the NFC North here. Yeah, so we we finished with my fighting Minnesota Vikings. Um, at 18, they took Garrett Bradbury, the zone uh, blocking scheme system from uh, NC State. Second round, they went Irv Smith, a, a pick that I hated, the tight end from Alabama. We'll talk about that in a second. Last pick in the third round, the Vikes took uh, Boise State running back Alexander Madison, another fascinating kind of 
a situation because it was clear that the Vikings had sort of earmarked Alexander Madison as the guy they wanted in the third round. I think they thought the rest of the NFL had valued him as a, as a fourth round kind of a guy. And so they thought if we can just keep trading down, you know, to the very end of the round, we'll guarantee ourselves Madison and then we'll pick up a bunch of, you know, day three dart throws and the roster's getting older. You know, they needed some fortification and some developmental prospects of positions like, you know, defensive back, uh, three technique, you know, on, on defense. They needed more guys on the offensive line, developmental type guys, stuff like that. Um, and they wanted to fortify the back end of the receiving core. You know, the Vikings have two very good receivers and then outside of that, not, not a lot. So they needed to pick up a lot of these day three kind of picks. So that, that was what their strategy was. My, you know, my concern with that was that I, I don't think that the Vikings could have foreseen some of the guys that fell down there, hockey, Butler, Julian Love, uh, some of the safeties we mentioned before, Chauncey Gardner, Johnson, uh, the hooker, et cetera. So I thought they got kind of tunnel vision there. Fourth round, uh, love that pick. Drew, Drew Samia, the guard from Oklahoma. He was my third rated guard. I had him 63 overall. And I think he's an absolutely tremendous fit for a team like the Vikings. And he's a kid who, if he starts more than half the games as a rookie, as a fourth rounder, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, the, the reason they took Garrett Bradbury over Andre Dillard was because, you know, the Vikings had this imperative. We have to get Pat Elfline off of center. You know, he, he struggled mightily last year. He's not a zone center. Now what he does, if you look at his, his like spark score from the year he came out, sub fifth percentile. Well, you know, you look at now the, the sparks of all the, the Vikings offensive linemen that, you know, that they're bringing in or whatever, it's typically 80 or above, you know, I mean, they, they want the mobile guys for, for the zone system. And especially when Kubiak came in, it just ramped up the, the, the zone stuff even more. And so, you know, that's obviously what they decided to do and, you know, get, getting Bradbury stuff like that, that now Elfline's going to kick to one of the guards across from the Klein kid that they started from Tennessee. But, um, I I wouldn't I wouldn't mark that in stone just yet because Samia can play and if they can they can you know figure out some of the technical things um you know he might be able to play really really early because he's got the other stuff even though he didn't test as a great athlete the one thing he did test great at was explosion in short you know short quarters um you know in terms of acceleration stuff like that getting on top of people even getting to the second level lickety split uh he could do that and he's also just an absolute brawler like he's a he's a character out of street fighter you know that you know he, he wants to bury you and then he he's one of those offensive lineman that gets up in your ear. So I, I thought that was a great pick for a team that absolutely needed something like that. They needed a gift, you know, in, in, in the third round because, you know, they decided to take Irv Smith instead of an offensive lineman, you know, on, on day two. And so they needed a gift. And I think they got one from the NFL. Fifth round, Cameron Smith, developmental linebacker from USC, can do a bunch of different things. Solid player. You know, was it was a high recruit there. Uh, 77th percentile athleticism. Uh, the one thing he can't do is rush the passer. And that's why he was available there. But Heck, you know, the Vikings needed a developmental linebacker, and that's exactly what he is. Um, Armand Watts in the sixth round, defensive lineman from Arkansas. Love that pick. Uh, Armand Watts was one of the, you know, top uh, interior defensive line sleepers, at least for me, uh, was a kid who just jumped off the board, you know, this year, you know, really leveled up on on this otherwise just awful Arkansas defense. Um, you know, and he's, he's got all the measurable 6'5", 300, uh, stuff like that. Um, he didn't really prove the concept before this year. That's a part of the reason why he fell. And he also couldn't submit a full athletic profile. So that's why he was available there. But for a team that wanted a three technique developmental kid and wasn't able to get one earlier, um, that was a tremendous pick. Then in the sixth round, uh, later on, took Marcus Epps safety from Wyoming. That was kind of a surprise. Um, you know, I thought if they were going to take a Wyoming safety, it'd probably be Andrew Wingard. Uh, but Epps is kind of interesting because he tested better than we thought he was going to test. And he, he did play really well in, in college. He's another undersized safety. He had to test well and he did. So that, you know, that's why he got the call uh, later in round six, then their third uh, round six pick. You know, a lot of these picks they picked up, you know, through their various machinations of trading down and targeting Alexander Madison. They took Ole Udo, the, uh, the developmental tackle from Elon that a lot of people like. And I, I like him too, especially for this team, 6'5, 323, tested in the 60th percentile. 
Um, I, I had him ranked 133 because this tackle class, it sort of dried up there, you know, like a 12 or so. And then after that, it started, you know, it's just dart throw in time. And so for me, I want the guy, you know, where, where he's proven the concept in college to an extent. And Udo did, even though it's, you know, it's a smaller, um, you know, smaller level at the FCS or whatever, but he was great there. You know, his first team, all conference, all that kind of stuff. And he was also a first team, all academic guy at the FCS level, multiple years, like very smart kid off the field, stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, tested in the 60th percentile, six five two twenty three or three twenty three. So I thought that was a very good dart throw. And then in the, the seventh round, I, I thought the Vikings kept doing interesting things. Chris Boyd, the corner from Texas, he's a kid everyone expected to go higher. You know, he, he's very grabby. He's very physical. Um, and he did have a propensity to get torched at, at, Texas. So, you know, Texas fans would call it the Boyd tax because Boyd would have all these awesome plays. He's, you know, he's like I said, he's very aggressive, not only in coverage, but also in coming up and, and filling in the run too. So he'd, you'd see him make like a great play, just blow up, you know, like, you know, they're playing Oklahoma, you know, Rodney Anderson's healthy and, you know, Rodney Anderson, you know, get, you know, they, he's got an envoy in front of him. Looks like he's going to, you know, burst up field for a 50 yard touchdown. You'd see, you know, Chris Boyd come in kamikaze him and, you know, take out his ankles or whatever, be like, holy crap. And then the next play, you know, Baker Mayfield would just, you know, torch him over the top or whatever, um, you know, to, to Hollywood Brown or whatever. So he he's an interesting kid, you know, and, and some people think he might be moving back to safety, you know, at 5'11", 201. He, he's got great athleticism, but we'll see, you know, if he could ever cut down the handsy stuff. But certainly at that point, that's that's juice worth the squeeze. Same with the next pick, Dylan Mitchell's a kid who should have gotten way above where he went. I, I don't understand why what the NFL missed in, in Dylan Mitchell to get him down to the seventh round with all these other you know, true dart throws. I, I think Dylan Mitchell for sure is going to hang in the NFL. I, you know, I, the, the one, you know, some people thought, you know, maybe he's got a higher ceiling. I, I don't think that, but you know, I think his floor is, is very high. You know, he, he tested in the 57th percentile, six one one ninety seven, and put up, you know, bazooka stats last year as Justin Herbert's wide receiver one at, at, at Oregon. Um, you know, he was another kid that was a Ballyhoo prospect, former basketball player. I mean, you know, the athleticism he's showing on the field and on the hard court is, is, is better even than, than the decent athletic profile he turned in. So I really like that one. Then they took Olabisi Johnson from, from Colorado State with their next pick. Uh, yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll see if he can contribute on special teams. I you know I, don't, I probably don't think he's going to make the team, but we'll see. And then the last one they took, a, and this was kind of funny, they took a they took a, a long snapper at uh, the 250th pick in the seventh round, and then they turn around and give Jake Browning the record signing bonus in, in NFL history for, for a UDFA, which is a real head scratcher because he could have just taken him at 250. And paid him half as much, um, and and so you know I, I I heard a local reporter talking about it and and said uh, yeah that's that was a favor to, to Mr. Browning's agent so um, you know that's that's what they decided to do down there. Uh, overall, I gave the Vikings a, a B plus. Um, I, I thought you know I thought they killed day three. I loved what they did in in round one. I might have taken Dillard, but you know even so. Bradbury is an absolutely perfect scheme fit here for a Gary Kubiak, uh, you know, zone type offense. And you wanted to get Elfline desperately off of center and move him to guard. Um, and so, th- you know, this p- pick facilitated it. So I understood why they put him above Dillard. And then day three, you know, like I said, I thought they killed that too. Day two was where I thought the Vikings went rogue. I thought they went askance. And the Irv Smith pick... Um, I I just don't get it. I you know who knows. I'm out on an island with Irv Smith and and not really getting the Irv Smith thing. So who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. But I don't see what other people are seeing here. He's six two two forty two, tested in the twenty first percentile. And I watched all the Alabama games this year. You know Irv Smith didn't play before this year. This is the first you know year he was featured or whatever. And even on the field, I just I don't really get what other people are seeing. His stats, yeah, his counting stats were great. Sure. 
but he was like the fifth receiver on that team. And he was typically the fifth option on passing plays. You know, they had Jerry Judy and, and Jalen Waddell and Henry Ruggs and even Devontae Smith off the bench. These, these guys are all elite athletes. You have the spread system. Those guys are all going downfield. And then if, if they're all covered or whatever, typically Tua was either going to Josh Jacobs or Damian Harris, depending on if they were in the play. A lot of times you'd see Irv would just sort of camp out in the middle of the field because basically it's like Irv just, you know, sort of run up there, you know, seven yards, whatever, turn around. And if Tua can't find anybody else, then he's going to hit you. And, you know, and, and Irv would always have, you know, the opposing team's least gifted cover man on him, you know, whether it was like their least athletic linebacker, whether it was like, you know, a strong safety that was poor in coverage or whatever. Well, if, if Tua shuttled the ball off to Irv Smith seven seconds after the snap, all he's got to do is break one tackle and he's in the open field because, all you know, all the defenders, defensive backs have been sucked downfield because all these freak athletes or whatever – Irv Smith can break one tackle, you know, of, a, of an under-talented college guy. And the one thing in his athletic profile is bad athletic profile. But the one thing that is good, straight line speed. That is the one thing that Irv Smith has. You know, he, he tested, I think, uh, 4.62, something like that, low, low four sixes or whatever. So if you give him a runway, yeah, he can run. So you'd see this a lot in college where, you know, he'd get like, the you know, a seven-yard catch or whatever, and he'd break this tackle. This guy's going to be an accountant next year. And then he'd have this runway in front of him for 40, 50 yards, and he'd, you know, he'd sprint in for, you know, a touchdown or whatever, maybe break one more arm tackle along the way. Um, but, you know, a lot of these other guys, you know, Jay Sternberger was easily the number one target on Texas A&M, right, with, you know, with a, with a, with a true sophomore quarterback, raw true sophomore quarterback. Uh, Kahale Waring was easily the number one receiver on, on San Diego State. You know, I mean, his counting stats were way less than Irv Smith, but he was the guy getting the targets on the very few times that San Diego State threw. And for people that don't know, San Diego State, their their offense is basically, you know, the Wisconsin of the West Coast in the G5. They, they just don't really throw. But when they did, they were looking for Waring. Um, and, you know, and, and so instead of those guys, you, you, you overdraft with the top 50 pick, this this guy who I do not think is an inline tight. End. I, I think Irv Smith is an H back. And I think the most, you know, the, the, the way that you talk yourself into the Irv Smith pick is sort of by perceiving him as, you know, this, this H back, this sort of guy that you can move around all this different stuff who can maybe become Trey Burton, but a better blocking version of Trey Burton. I think that's the absolute, you know, highest ceiling that you can talk yourself into for Irv Smith, but to get there, he has to overcome 21st percentile athleticism. So I I don't think that the projection there is clean either, even at H back, because he's got to, to justify a top 50 pick. He's got to become one of the great, you know, H backs of, you know, the last 10, 20 years or so. I I, I just don't see how he's he's going to get there. I think he was flattered by his supporting cast. And then the Madison thing, just taking him over Butler and, and, and love and stuff like that. I thought, you know, that, that, that wasn't the best, but uh, yeah, overall I, I liked the Vikings other picks. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the Vikings were an interesting team. I thought, you know, that they, some of the stuff, I love the Bradbury pick. I think Irv Smith is one of the guys so far we've talked about that we have a little bit of different opinions. I think he's a little bit of a Delaney Walker type. I, I like his receiving ability. I think he, in terms of his route running, he's pretty good at that. But I do I do understand the concerns. I thought he was going to go to the combine and test out as a much better athlete. He didn't. He also, you know, came in a little bit even smaller than I thought. So he does have some concerns to to get past like you talked about I, I believe in him and, and think he will be an asset there Madison was the one that scratched my head the most about uh I like the Samia pick a lot there as well so so there it is the NFC North let's just keep this going and I am gonna start it up in the NFC South here I'll go a little bit more uh rapid fire just so we get Rudy's last two divisions as well uh first up was the Atlanta Falcons they had two picks in round one. At pick 14, they took Christopher Lindstrom. They traded back in an aggressive move to pick 31, took Caleb McGarry to tackle out of Washington. 
In round four, they picked Kendall Sheffield, the cornerback out of Ohio State. In round four, they also took John Kaminsky, defensive end out of Charleston. In round five, running back Quadre Allison out of Pittsburgh. Also in round five, Jordan Miller, cornerback out of Washington. And then round six, Marcus Green, wide receiver out of Louisiana Monroe. My favorite pick for them? I think it's probably Christopher Lindstrom. I thought it was a little bit early, but I, I, I like the player. So if I was going to put a favorite pick, I would say Lindstrom. His his ability to be a good zone blocker, get out on the move. I like his toughness and, and physicality as well. So I like the Lindstrom pick. Most questionable decision, I think it was trading up for McGarry. I think they could have sat there. There would have been a possibility he was there for their second round pick. But if not, maybe Risner falls, You know, maybe another guy falls. So I thought that was a little bit surprising. I thought they could have waited out I like the investment of two offensive linemen and kind of solidify the position and, and and really make sure they get the run game going again, keep Matt Ryan upright and should have a really good offense. But they had invested multiple free agent pickups and guards, so that was a little bit questionable. Uh, in terms of their value pick, I didn't really see a, a really good value pick. You know, if you want to say that, you know, Sheffield, if he doesn't tour his pick, at the combine and he runs a 428 or 427. Maybe he's not there in round four, but that's stretching a little bit in terms of value. So overall, I like the Falcons going aggressive to make sure they lock down their old line. Didn't necessarily thought they got good value for either of those picks and had a trade up for McGarry. And then the rest of their picks, I, I thought were pretty questionable uh, to say the least. So I didn't think the Falcons had a really strong draft. Any quick thoughts there, Thor and Atlanta? I completely agree with your your take, Paul. I, I gave him a D plus, and then when you combine like the UDFA stuff with my numbers, they actually came in at thirty one. Um, and and I agree with you. I there was no value picks in in their draft. If I was to toss one out, it would be the the top undrafted kid that they signed, Olamide Zakias, a kid from Virginia that can do a lot of different things. You know, it's sort of like an age back uh, wide receiver type, running back type hybrid. Um, he was probably you know in terms of value, I, I thought he probably should have gone fifth, sixth round or so, and he ended up going undrafted. That's really the only thing I can see from a value perspective. Yeah, I'm right, I'm right there with you. So let's take this to the Panthers. They Their first round pick was a guy we've talked a lot about, so not much more to discuss. We both like Brian Bird's the edge prospect out of Florida State. Great pick there. In round two, they took Greg Little, tackle out of Mississippi. Round three, they took quarterback Will Greer to West Virginia. Round four, they took Christian Miller, edge out of Alabama. Round five, running back Jordan Scarlett out of Florida. Round six, Dennis Daly, tackle out of South Carolina. And round seven, Terry Godwin, wide receiver out of Georgia. Ray talked about my favorite pick. That was Brian Burns, explosive pass rusher off the edge. In terms of value, I like the value that they got on Christian Miller and Will Greer. Will Greer was my number four quarterback in this class. I don't it was a round two value, so I like them getting him late round three. And then Christian Miller, if he's healthy, I think he's a second, early third round type value. So the fact that there's some injury concerns pushed him down the board, love the value that they got there. Questionable, I, there were better running backs on the board than Jordan Scarlett, even in round five, but I'm not going to you know, nitpick too much. I think he had some physicality and toughness. They need that to complement uh, Christian McCaffrey. I thought there were better guys that they could have picked in there. And Greg Little, some people really liked him. Other people were a little bit down on him. Uh, if he can get back to being the guy we saw the previous year when most people thought he could be a top five or top 10 pick, 
it's not that questionable of a pick, but I think this year he regressed a little bit. So those, those would be my thoughts on Carolina. Overall, I thought I liked their draft because I liked, obviously, Brian Burns a lot. I like Christian Miller. I like the Will Greer pick. I'm not going to kill them for Greg Little. Second round was probably where he was going to go off the board. Worst case, early third round. So maybe it was a little bit early there. And that's why it was a little bit questionable. And then, you know, their late round picks, you know, Dennis Daly's okay. Terry Godwin, you know, adds a, a slot component. You can get vertical a little bit, you know, so I think they might get some at least contributors on day three as well. So overall, I liked what they did. Anything besides Brian Burns that obviously we both love there, Thor? Anything else about Carolina? Yeah, I'm, I'll just echo what you said. Love the Brian Burns pick. Uh, Will Greer, great pick at a, at 100. You know, they, I think the other teams in the NFL that needed a quarterback, they just so happened to earmark other guys and they acquired them, you know, including Miami with the trade and stuff like that. And then I think, you know, there, there was a misfire on the eval with some other teams that maybe probably should have ended Will Greer's fall in, in round three. And so I think Carolina, you know, eventually just sort of threw up their hands and said, man, at pick a hundred. Sure. You know, he, and, and Paul, I, I agree with you. I had him as quarterback four as well. Um, and I rated him 57th overall. So to get him at a hundred, I, I don't care if you got Cam Newton, you just do it from a value perspective. You just do that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I like what they did there. So let's keep this going. Tampa Bay Bucks in first round, they took Devin White, the blue chip linebacker out of LSU. In round two, they took Shud Munting, the cornerback out of Central Michigan. In round three, they went back to the cornerback well, took Jamel Dean out of Auburn. In round three, they took Mike Edwards, the safety uh, out of Kentucky. In round four, they took Anthony Nelson, defensive end out of Iowa. In round five, they took a kicker, Matt Gay, out of Utah. In round six, they took Scott Miller, wide receiver, out of Bowling Green State. In round seven, they took Terry Beckner, defensive tackle, out of Missouri. In terms of their favorite pick, a little bit of an easy cop-out. I love Devin White. I thought he was a bona fide blue-chip defensive prospect in this class, sideline to sideline, anchor of a defense. So I love that pick. He replaces Quan Alexander. Could they have taken Josh Allen? I would have applauded that pick as well. Positional value might have been skewed towards the end rusher, but I do think Devin White is going to make a big impact on that team and fills a gaping need that they had. In terms of value picks, I guess I'll go with Anthony Nelson if I'm going to pick one. I thought he was a guy who could have possibly sneaked into late round three or early part of day three, Uh, so that's where they ended up getting him. So not that much value with that pick in terms of an early guy, but some people did think he can sneak into round three, add some more to that defensive line in terms of their edge rush. In terms of their questionable picks, First off, a kicker in the fifth round shouldn't happen. So, I mean, Tampa Bay, again, taking a kicker, that's baffling. But the cornerback decision, double dipping, Jamel Dean, he's got he's a traitsy player, but I think he's a little bit of risk-reward. I think there's some other ways I would have went there. And then even the Sean Bunting, I really like Bunting the player, but taking him over Greedy Williams I think is a little bit questionable. So I liked a little bit of what Tampa Bay did. I liked them double-dipping again at cornerback to try to solidify the position. I think I might have went with two different cornerbacks if I went that route. Uh, so they did some questionable things. I really loved, obviously, Devin White, but that wasn't very hard to do sitting there, pick five. Uh, so I thought it was an average draft for Tampa Bay. I like some of the players they got. I think I would have pivoted off some of other ones. Uh, so not not a ringing endorsement for me for Tampa Bay. 
Yeah, you're not going to get one from from me either. Uh, I, you know, in terms of questionable picks, I'd say Mike Edwards too. You know, I, I mean, especially because all those other safeties were were still available at that point. You know, that that ended up going at, in the top of round four. I don't know what 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 Edwards does better. You know, for instance, than than, than Chauncey Gardner or uh, Amani Hooker. You know, I, I I don't know. I, I'm not sure. So that that one was kind of a head scratcher. Um, and then yeah, back a. I mean, you mentioned that uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I questioned some of those picks. And then. Uh, th- my value pick would be the same. I-, I thought the one true value pick they had in one of their slots was Anthony Nelson. I actually rated Anthony Nelson as a late second round pick. Uh, very, very big, rangy kind of kid, 6'7, 271, and a very underrated athlete. You know, in, in terms of spark, he was 9.49. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking a, a, a top end athlete at that size. Uh, I, I'm not sure why he fell uh, today three. I, I was really surprised by that. You know, I mean, I, I think pretty much everyone either rated him as a late second rounder or a third round prospect. Uh, you know, I think that's just the way that the board fell and good on Tampa Bay for, for stopping his fall. Yeah, absolutely. So let's finish out the NFC South here with the New Orleans Saints. Obviously, they were limited in picks. They made an aggressive move up to get Eric McCoy center out of Texas A&M in round two. In round four, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the safety out of Florida. Round six, Saquon Hampton, the safety out of Rutgers. In round seven, Alzey Mack, the tight end at Notre Dame. And also in round seven, Caden Ellis, linebacker out of Idaho. My favorite pick was them getting Eric McCoy. They're a win-now team. They're looking to win the Super Bowl. They had a gaping hole at center. They filled it with a really strong center there uh, in round two. My favorite value, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I thought he was a late round one to mid round two player to get him in round four. Obviously, there seems to be some character or something issues, but on the field, he's Tyron Matho part two, I think. So love the pick there. And I also love the value pick of Alze Mack. He's a guy who I, he's, I've been claiming him by Christopher Herndon this year, a guy who I thought could have went on day three and immediately uh, became a contributor at the next level. So I kind of like Alze Mack there going in round seven. Yeah, I, I thought the Saints, you know, in a very sneaky way, had one of the best draft processes in the NFL, you know, and, and, you know, very sneaky because they only had five picks and four of them were 105 and below and two of them were in the seventh round. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of my numbers, you had the UDFA class to what they got in terms of the slots that they were picking it. I actually ranked them third in the NFL or my numbers ranked them them third in the NFL because they also had a great UDFA class. So ju- just brilliant here. I mean, you know, the, the, the second round pick totally agree with you. McCoy was a great pick there, especially because all these offensive linemen were getting plucked off the board, and McCoy just happened to leak down there, you know, to, to the very fringes of the top fifty. Um, and great on New Orleans for for grabbing them there. Um, so I, I I love that pick too. And then it, I I agree with your, your your best value pick as well, getting Chauncey Gardner. I mean, we, we we brought the name up several times because he should not have been available at the hundred and fifth overall pick. And I was lower on Chauncey than some other guys, but I still ranked him seventy three. You know, and it just speaks to the depth of this safety class and New Orleans was able to take advantage of that uh, in that pick too. Um, Alizé Mack, I agree also with him. I mean, you know, later on there, I, you know, I had his ninth tight end, uh, 143 overall, but they got him at 231. I mean, they, they got him way down there. And Alizé Mack is a kid who has just fabulous talent. I, I think he was a five-star recruit coming out of Las Vegas. Um, and, you know, there, there were some things in his career that did not go his way. He had an academic suspension, struggled with a couple concussions, but he is a very, very natural receiver. And so what, you know, what a great landing spot for for him. And then, like I said, in the UDFA ranks too, they had, in my opinion, the best UDFA class in all of the NFL. And because they brought in, you know, only five kids, you know, three of whom were late, late, late round picks, um, they, you know, that, that was something that they needed to do, you know, to sort of fortify that 
there. And they, they got it done. They got a Zigbo, who was one of the best UDFAs. Carl Granderson from Wyoming was also one of the top available UDFAs. And Chase Hansen, uh, a linebacker safety hybrid out of, out of Utah, um, was an older prospect. That's the reason why he fell you know, out of the draft or whatever. But I, I think he's a kid who could contribute uh, early on potentially in the NFL. So, um, you know, I, I really liked what the Saints did, um, you know, because they had such little draft equity to come out with as much talent they did was a, was a really fabulous job. Yeah, absolutely. So let's close this out tonight by shifting over to the NFC West and going through these uh, to close it out. Yeah, sure. So we'll start with the Cardinals, of course. First overall pick, you guys know who they took, the Oklahoma quarterback, Kyler Murray. Uh, second round at the top, they took Byron Murphy, the Washington cornerback who fell out of the first. Uh, 62nd pick later on there in the second, Andy Isabella, a wide receiver from UMass. Then in the third round, they took the, uh, whether you call him an interior defensive lineman, that's what I called him, or edge, uh, Zach Allen from Boston College. First pick in, in the fourth round, tremendous. Got, got to keep Butler, receiver from Iowa State, who I'm very, very, very high on. Uh, then in the fifth round, Deontay Thompson stopped another kid's fall at the Alabama safety. You know, again, with the depth of this safety class, someone who's going to get pushed down the board. And Thompson got the worst of it. And, and good on Arizona for stopping his fall. Sixth round, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, the receiver from Fresno State. Very interesting. You know, stylistically, he is different than Andy Isabella um, and Hakeem Butler. You know, so they, they all can do different things. So, that, you know, that was kind of a cool pick, too. Uh, Lamont Gayard, they, you know, Arizona did not address their offensive line until the 179th pick with Gayard. I thought that. That was a mistake. I thought they should have taken guys higher. That said, Gayer was a great pick. I, you know, I had him 129. I, I think, you know, he's a very crafty kid. Um, he doesn't necessarily look the part. Um, and athletically, you know, he, he didn't test as, as, as sort of a great athlete or anything, tested in the eighth percentile. But that kid can play. You know, he's he's one of those Georgia kids that just blocks the guy in front of him, blocks his butt off. So I like that pick a lot. Uh, Joshua Miles um, in the, the seventh round, they had three seventh round picks. Joshua Miles, the first one, a guard developmental kid another develop uh, I really like that pick I, I rated him 159 overall kid who is uh 6'5 315 testing the 85th percentile you're talking about the seventh round you have a bad offensive line getting a kid like that that has traits starting level traits in the NFL was tremendous uh then they got Michael Dogba from uh Temple the interior defensive lineman at 249 which is really cool too because that that kid can do something that's very valuable in the NFL which is interior penetration we'll see if he's got the athleticism uh you know to to project to, to the next level because he's only 63284 um and he tested 59th percentile which is okay um but you know at that size we'll you know we'll just see if he can add weight um and and hang in there and then with the Mr. Relevant pick they got another good pick and Caleb Wilson the the tight end from UCLA straight receiving uh type tight end who's probably going to be a really good fit for for Cliff if he can hang you know he's he's a kid who struggled to stay healthy and in, in college stay on the field stuff like that but if he could stay healthy um he's got the traits to contribute there you know as as a big slot for Cliff um I really like this class the, the you know I my one disagreement was 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 a thing that everyone else disagrees with me on the only mistake I thought Arizona made was at the very top uh, you know, in, in, in taking Kyler Murray. And my take on this is pretty straightforward. You, you have this roster that has holes all over the place. Uh, basically, you're selling low on on the first quarterback, you know, that, that you took last year that you traded up for. You, you had a lot of draft equity in him. You're selling low on him to facilitate, in my opinion, overdrafting uh, this kid who's never existed before. You know, this 5'10 dual threat quarterback. Um, and if, if Kyler Murray fails in his first three years in the NFL, uh, spoiler, spoiler alert, guys, but he's heading back to baseball. So, I mean, Cardinal fans have have to just be praying that you know the Kyler Murray works out immediately. We'll see, but you know I would have easily. I mean, if you ask me, Thor, would you rather have Quinn and Williams and and Josh Rosen, 
or Kyler Murray and Andy Isabella. For me, that's that's an easy choice. I'm taking Quinnen and, and Josh Rosen. I just think that there's there's a lot more talent there. Um, so you know, especially for for a team and a roster that that you know was sort of bereft of talent and needed help in a lot of different places. Outside of that, though. Arizona absolutely slaughtered this draft pick after pick after pick from, from Byron Murphy all the way through to Caleb Wilson. You want my best value pick? All of them. But, you know, if I, if I got to say one, it's, it's Hakeem Butler. Uh, I had Hakeem Butler as wide receiver one, 15th overall player in the class. I don't know what the NFL missed on, on, well, okay. I do know it's, it's the drop rate in conjunction with the late breakout age, you know, and then also in conjunction with bias against, you know, some of these bigger receivers coming in in recent years having busted. And so in the NFL's ideology, they're looking at this sort of pie chart and you have these three things that typically denote a bust, you know, at, at receiver. And they're sort of seeing it all intersect within, within Hakeem Butler's evaluation. And they, they disconnect critical faculty at that point and just say, Hakeem Butler is a bust. I don't, we don't want Hakeem Butler. Um, well, okay. Uh, there's contextual reasons to explain every single one of those things that start with, you know, he grew up in poverty in Baltimore, you know, single parent house, and then his mom died. And then he had to move to Texas uh, to move in with his cousins because he didn't have anyone else to live with. Texas football suspended Hakeem Butler for half his junior season because they said he was moving for athletic reasons. He only played 13 games his last two seasons of high school, and he was playing on a team that had uh, Stephen Sims as the wide receiver one. Stephen Sims was the, the number one receiver on Kansas for three years or so. So, you know, Hakeem Butler, he was just overlooked by every college. Iowa State had to build him up because he was just crazy raw. Um, and then he, you know, he's behind Lazard there for a little bit. Just absolutely broke out this year. Was was the number one downfield receiver in college football by margin. It wasn't close. And what people need to understand about that and why that is so impressive and something that you cannot just remove from the evaluation because of the other things is because first of all, Iowa State runs a vanilla offense. Second of all, they the, their starting quarterback was this true freshman noodle arm kid named Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's going to be good down the line, but he he left a lot of yards on the field, you know, that took him away from Hakeem Butler, underthrew him a ton. Uh, if, if you want to see one play of this, check out the Kansas play where, 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 where Hakeem just singes the safety downfield. It's a free six points if Purdy just throws a lollipop in front of him. Instead, he underthrows him by 20 yards. Hakeem has to slam on the brakes, furiously work back to the ball, jumps over the defensive back, catches the ball over the defensive back, then throws him aside when they when they get back on the field. He somehow keeps his, you know, his balance or whatever, throws him aside, sprints to the end zone, breaks another tackle on the way. Um, and, and so he was the number one receiver, despite those factors, despite the fact that Iowa State had a terrible offensive line, despite the fact that Iowa State had no secondary receivers. Look at their stats. I mean, you take David Montgomery, the running back out that, you know, their other receivers, you know, you're talking about guys who had 30 catches and average, you know, eight yards a catch or whatever. It was all Hakeem Butler, everything, you know, to, to Hakeem Butler. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and he was that despite the drop rate, which everyone points to. OK, well, sure, the drop rate's an issue, but he was still by far the number one receiver in college football in an environment that absolutely should not have facilitated that. He was not playing in an air raid system with, you know, with Kyler Murray or, you know, so, some of these guys were throwing downfield. So um, I just don't understand what, what, what the NFL was, was, was seeing there. I think even if, you know, people say Hakeem Butler is a boomer bust prospect, I disagree because if Hakeem Butler never develops even one modicum more, not even one inch more, uh, he's still going to be a coin flip downfield guy in the NFL, even with his drop rate, you know, even if he keeps dropping, you know, 16% of the, the stuff or okay, send him deep. 
He's he's a kid who's 6'5", 227, who was on Bruce Feldman's freak list, you know, for for athletes coming into this college football season. We knew he was a freak athlete. Um, and then he came in and tested in the 80th percentile. Sure, you know, in, in, in terms of changing direction, is he Hollywood Brown? No. But can he make plays downfield, you know, as, as, as good as most prospects we've seen come in um, in the past few years? Yeah, he, he is an awesome downfield prospect, and he's going to continue to be that regardless of, of whether he develops again. He also has plaxical burst upside if he continues to develop. But if nothing else, he comes into the NFL with the freakiest dimensions, the freakiest catch radius that, that probably we've ever seen. I, you know, I say my joke with him is that he's got the catch radius of an Indian god, and, and he's also got athleticism. So uh, th- that was an absolute bonanza of a pick by, by Arizona. Yeah, I mean, listen, Arizona did an absolutely amazing job right there. I agree with everything you just said. I was going to lay out the same thing about Quinn Williams and Josh Rosen or Andy Isabella and, you know, Kyler Murray. I love the value on Butler, on Thompson, on Galliard, you know, up and down the entire board. My only questionable thing besides the trade would have been surprisingly not going after an offensive tackle because they still got work to do on the O-line. So jump right in, take it to the next team in the West. So we'll go to, we'll jump down to the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, second, you know, they didn't have the first round pick, obviously, with the, the second to the last pick or the third to last pick. Anyway, 61 overall, they take Taylor Rapp, the safety from Washington. Uh, third round, uh, 70th pick overall. A very interesting pick. They took uh, Darrell Henderson, the running back from Memphis. Maybe a nod to, you know, their their concerns about Todd Gurley. Uh, later on in that round, they took one of my favorite cornerbacks in this class, David Long from Michigan um, at 79. At uh, 97 with their third third round pick, uh, Bob. Bobby Evans, the tackle from from Oklahoma. Um, and then in round four, the kid I've referenced before, Greg Gaines, the interior defensive lineman from Washington, can muck it up in there. Uh, fifth round, uh, David Edwards, the tackle from uh, from Wisconsin. And then their last two picks with their dart throws, they took a safety, Nick Scott, Penn State, you know, just a testing kid. You're just, you're just 95th percentile athleticism. You're, you're merely throwing a dart on the athleticism there. And then Dakota Allen, last chance you in, in the house for folks that that, che- that checked out that show. I think he was season two, was the star of that show. Uh, they took him at, at, at 251. Um, I ended up giving the Rams a B plus, which again, you know, I'm just talking about the players acquired in the slots that they took them. I thought, I thought Rap was a nice pick there. You know, I, I had him at 56. I got him at 61. That was pretty nice. Henderson was was taken, you know, right around the range that, that I had him. And for a team like the Rams, you know, that a, a team with a very innovative staff that that has some questions about the health of, of of this very important player and Todd Gurley, getting a guy like Henderson. Henderson can either be a perfect complement to Gurley because Henderson can do a bunch of things. He's he, you know he's the most explosive. Of running back in college football last well certainly last year you know I suppose you could have made the, the Saquon argument you know statistically in, in 2017 stuff like that but certainly last year Henderson was by margin that you know the, the best explosive running back in in college football and he also caught balls at volume at, at Memphis so you know we know that he's going to be a good receiving back too so I, I you know I, I like those I think my favorite value pick would have been David Long you know the the cornerback I mentioned from from uh, Michigan this was a guy that a lot of people were low on throughout the process you know some some people out there had him ranked as you know, fifth, sixth, seventh. There, there was even one analyst out there. I'm not going to mention his name, but he ranked long, something like the 27th cornerback in the class. And I, I, I don't know what you're seeing at that at that point. David Long absolutely shut down number one uh, Big Ten receivers uh, for years. You know, I mean, this wasn't just last year; he didn't just pop up. I mean, he he was erasing people. You know, throughout his time uh, in Michigan, if you look at some of his stats in terms of you know just the pure catches and the yardage that yardage that he gave up. 
Uh, he was at the top of the class, you know, and, you know, again, going back multiple years. And, and I think, you know, everyone, their, their criticism of him was he was this 5'11", 196 kid that played on the outside. And when you saw the, the, the criticism of a pre-combine, it was that, oh, well, he's, he's not very athletic. He's not very athletic. Uh, and, and, and also he doesn't have great size. And so, you know, he's probably gonna have to be a slot, but he's not shifty enough or athletic enough to handle the slot. Well, then he comes out and he tests in the 91st percentile. And so at that point I was like, all right, people are going to get on board with David Long. Well, no, they didn't. You know, that, like I said, someone rated him as the 27th cornerback in the class. I, I don't really get that. I had him 36th. Um, so I, I, I love that pick. I, overall, I really like what the Rams did. I gave him a B plus. Yeah, I mean, I think B-plus sounds about right for them. I like the long pick that you talked about. I think Rap is a guy who could have went round one a while ago, fell a little bit due to his athletic testing. Henderson adds that explosive weapon. And then I like Bobby Evans, too, the Oklahoma tackle. And even David Edwards in, in late late round five. I think they could potentially, Evans could develop into a starting right tackle and maybe Edwards a solid, you know, backup depth, you know, you know, offensive tackle as well so i like what the rams did there and i like that they're i like the way they work the board so i was impressed with what they did in that regards so keep it going we got two more teams here to wrap this out yeah, so we'll go to the Seahawks next. They had a very puzzling pick at 29, took LJ Collier, the, the edge defender from TCU that I ranked 101st overall. I, I did not understand. It was the second straight year. I, I just started laughing when they made their pick. Uh, second round, they had two picks. Uh, Marquise Blair, the safety from, from Utah, was the first one at 47. Uh, the next pick was DK Metcalf. That, that one obviously was, was much more ballyhooed, was the last pick in the second round there, the receiver from Ole Miss. Uh, last pick, or sorry, the last pick of day two, uh, 88 overall in the third round, took Cody Barton. The linebacker from Utah. Then moving into day three, they had three uh, uh, fourth round picks. The first one, Gary Jennings, a slot receiver from West Virginia that I'm very high on. I, I'm very intrigued by that pick. Next one is a guard from Wake Forest, Phil Hansen, another another kid that I liked. Uh, the next one, Ugo Amadi, was sort of a, a cornerback dash uh, safety kind of tweener. You know, I, I think you're looking at him as a as, as a sort of safety that, that will also move up and, and, and cover the slot from from Oregon. Uh, they got him at 132 overall. Then at one. I'm sorry, 132 overall. Then at 142 overall, now we move into the the, the fifth round. The Washington linebacker Ben Burke Curvin absolutely love that pick. That that's probably my favorite pick that that Seattle made. Uh, just so 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 productive at, at Washington, and then he came in and tested as an 84th percentile athlete. So I thought that was well done. Then they're 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 they had two six round picks. They took the running back from Miami, Travis Homer. Um, it's kind of an interesting pick. You know, he's, he's a kid who can receive the ball and he also tested pretty good. Uh, we'll see if they can turn him in any, anything more than that. Um, then at, at 209 overall took to Marcus Christmas, a, a Ballyhoo kid at Florida state who never really panned out, tested in the seventh percentile. Um, and then in the last round, they took w- one of my boys from college fantasy football, John Ursua, you know, played at the, uh, the run and shoot this year, you know, when, when Hawaii went back to that and, and John Ursua put up absolutely, you know, video game numbers. We'll see if he can be in the, anything in the NFL, but man, was he a, a fabulously productive player in college? Um, you know, again, I was very low on the Seahawks draft. I gave him a D plus and, you know, you do the thing, you know, my thing where I combine in the UDFA class with it, um, it, they came out 27th and, and that's just the numbers. That's not, you know, me jumping in with those things. So, um, you know, I, I was down on both those that the LJ Collier pick makes absolutely no sense. You know, I mean, he, he was, I mean, he was on a team that had another edge defender that was drafted, you know, and, and, and Banagu, Banagu was better in him in every metric. If you want to look at stats, you want to look at solo tackles, you want to look at sacks, you want to look at tackles for loss, all the different stuff. If you want to look at, you know, height, you know, you want to look at size, uh, Bonagu had him there and Bonagu absolutely destroyed him in athleticism. Uh, you know, LJ Collier at, at 6'2", 283 as an edge defender, tested as a ninth percentile athlete. I do not understand 
taking him at 29. I, I, I like Collier fine. Um, if you want to take him in, at the top of the third round, knock yourself out. But at, <laughs> at 129, I, I didn't get that. And the, the one pick I liked, and it's crazy to say this. Well, okay. That, I, I, I would say, you know, in terms of a value pick, getting DK at, at 64, I was lower on DK. I, you know, I had DK wide receiver five. But, man, at, at that pick, okay, we'll, we'll take him. You know, because if nothing else, he can do the downfield stuff. You know, like I was mentioning with Hakeem, we know he can do that. Um, and then probably my favorite pick, like I said, was Ben Burkerb. And I, I thought that was a tremendous value at one. 42. Yeah, I mean, listen, I like the Ben Burkirvan pick. DK, I, I'm, I was right there with you. He was like at number five for me, but I thought that was good value. I think the Marquise Blair in, in round two was just as puzzling as the, as the LJ Collier yeah. one because you, you've mentioned multiple times tonight just how many great safeties there were and how deep and how many fell for Marquise Blair to go in the second round. A little puzzling. I even think Cody Barton was a little bit of a reach in round three as well. I mean, this is the Seahawks every year, though. I mean, it, this isn't even new to us anymore. I actually like Travis Homer a little bit there in round six, but they have two running backs clearly ahead of him. Maybe he could be a little bit of, you know, a CJ Procise role there. That CJ Procise was never able to kind of fulfill due to injuries. Uh, but nonetheless, a puzzling draft by them. The trading of Frank Clark. I don't see Seattle as a team on the upswing uh, right now. So let's wrap this up. Final team in the NFC West. Yeah, so we'll go with the 49ers to wrap things out. Uh, second pick, everyone knows, took Nick Bosa, the edge rusher from uh, Ohio State. Then at 36, their first pick in the second, or their only pick in the second round, took Debo Samuel, receiver from South Carolina. Next round, very interesting pick. We'll talk about this in a second. Took the, the Baylor receiver, uh, Jalen Hurd. Then in the fourth round, they took a, a punter, uh, Mish Wisnowski from, uh, from Utah. Um, Utah also had their kicker take it. It was the first kicker take. It was kind of interesting. Um, then in the fifth round, South Carolina linebacker Dre Greenlaw. Sixth round, uh, Stanford tight end Caden, uh, Caden Smith there at 176. Then their other two sixth-round picks, they took Justin School, the uh, tackle from Vanderbilt, and then Tim Harris, uh, the corner who had 92nd percentile athlete. Again, just another dart throw. A kid 6'2", 200 pounds, uh, tested in 92nd percentile. I did not like what the the 49ers did. Uh, Bosa, great. Okay, sure. You know, that's pretty pretty obvious pick there. You know, we all knew that they were going to take him. Fine with that. I thought it was a bit of an overdraft on Debo. I like Debo fine, but, uh, you know, I thought he was more of a, a mid to, to later second round pick kind of a guy, in part because of the durability issues. I, I comped him to Christian Kirk, but it's kind of like a Mr. Glass kind of Christian Kirk. Um, so, you know, at, at 36, I, I thought maybe that was a a bit of a reach. The pick that I liked, you know, if I'm to give my my favorite pick, it is Jalen Hurd. You know, a, a kid that I loved, and I was very aggressive with my ranking on Jalen Hurd, and I was out on an island for most of the process with, with Jalen Hurd, just beating the drum of, like, you guys, you have to understand, you know, this is a kid that could do at least two things starting out in the NFL that are valuable, you know, being a power slot, number one, he's going to be able to do that. Uh, period, you know, six five, two twenty six, and a very athletic kid, seventy fifth percentile. He did that at Baylor, you know, last year, first year he'd ever played uh, receiver after transferring over. He was a five star athlete that went to Tennessee. And when he was coming out, we didn't know if he was going to play running back, if he was going to play H back, if he was going to play tight end, if he was going to play wide receiver, if he was going to play linebacker, if he was going to play safety. You know, and he 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 goes to Tennessee and Butch Jones, who's just you know was one of the the big doofuses we saw in college football the last couple of years. You know, as far as a head coach, you know, wanted to turn Jalen Hurd this sort of special type of unicorn type athlete he wanted to turn him into like a you know a 1970s early 1970s ass hammerback you know it's like like in the i formation and stuff like that and jalen was okay with it initially and then you know things kind of got sour there and he wanted to get moved off of it and then jalen got a concussion and wanted to change position tennessee wasn't going to have that and so he ends up transferring but 
He wanted to play receiver. And so right away at Baylor this year, you know, I, I watched a lot of Baylor too. Cause my, you know, my brother went to Baylor and I consider myself something of a Baylor fan. So, you know, with work, that was one of the teams that I would cover. So I watched basically every Baylor game this year and it started out where Jalen Hurd was doing those two things. He was the power slot. So it basically be just Jalen. We know you don't know what you're really doing yet, but just, you know, run six, seven yards downfield. We're going to hit you right away. Is coming right on the numbers. And so Herb, you know, was doing that stuff. And then also one of the cool things they did, I, I did not think I was going to see this this year because of what we'd seen at Tennessee was Jalen Hurd agreed that when Baylor was in short yarded situations and they needed, you know, three, four yards or whatever, Jalen Hurd would harken back to his Tennessee days. They'd put him in the I formation and he would bully forward and get, you know, get the four or five yards or whatever. Um, that's something he could do in the NFL immediately as well. You know, so that is hidden value that Jalen Hurd is going to provide. Uh, the 49ers, if they want, can you use him as, as you know periodically as a short yardage back when they need that because he can definitely do that and very big kid you know like I said 6'5 226 even falling forward he's going to get you yards good athlete so I, I liked all that stuff and then on top of that there's also more ceiling there to go because Jalen Hurd may be able to play on the outside and we saw this more as the season went on with Baylor because once Baylor was like okay kid you you've got the big slot stuff let's see you know if we can do some stuff with you on the outside and he started to make some plays downfield so I you know I think he flashed uh, ability there and he flashed a, a, a high ceiling level as a receiver so you know getting him at 68 like I said I I, I thought I was very aggressive with his ranking I, I put him 65 and the 49ers ended up taking him right around there so I, I you know I applaud that pick yeah absolutely I'm right there with you Bosa obviously was an easy pick to make I, I like Debo Samuel I thought it might have been a little bit higher you know but they targeted him so I trust uh Shanahan in that offense so I think Debo's gonna be really good there and then Hurd's really interesting and and just to your point I actually thought him slimming down a little bit to play wide receiver. I think he looked, I thought he looked more explosive hitting the hole as a running back too this year. Yes. So, so I thought, I thought that's an intriguing, I'm fascinated to see how they use him there. Obviously Kyle Shanahan, a great offensive mind. So that's going to be a fun one to watch. So there it is, guys. All 16 teams from the NFC broken down every pick, uh, you know, relayed to you guys our favorite picks, questionable picks, you know, value picks, what we thought of the drafts. It was an absolute blast to go through and do this with you, Thor. Please let the audience, first off, thank you so much for coming back on the show as always. And please let the audience know where they can find your work. If, if you're working on anything in particular, I know you mentioned something about the UDFA stuff and what your Twitter handle is and all that stuff. Yeah, thanks, Paul. This was an absolute blast, uh, and I, ho I hope you're already scheduled me for next year at this time. We'll, we'll absolutely we'll, we'll do it again. We'll do it before, hopefully. Yeah, you do toss some college football. Uh, you guys can find me um, on Twitter at, at ThorKU or ThorKU, um, and then on Roto World uh, right now. The thing I have up is UDFA class grade rankings because I'm I'm just very sick person um you know and I, i've always wanted to see it i've always wanted to see someone grade the udfa classes so this year i did it um that that came out i think on friday so you can check out where your team uh went with that and then what i'm working on now what's going to be up tomorrow is, is something i alluded to throughout this podcast is the other thing i wanted to see that i wanted to see it was was a grade that encapsulated draft halls with udf you know with the udfa classes putting them all into one for each individual team and then looking at the draft equity that they had in the class and then using a mathematical formula, weighted mathematical formula, basically to see what team acquired the most talent 
with the least amount of, of draft equity, you know, and so we, we rank them all out using this formula and stuff like that. So that column will be out tomorrow, ranking both the, you know, the, the draft class with the UDFA class. V- very excited about, about that one. And then we're going to move on to 2020 mock draft, I think is scheduled to run two weeks from tomorrow and then a week after that. So this is now, you know, uh, three weeks from tomorrow on a Wednesday, uh, we're going to do uh, the, my early 2020 offensive rankings. And the next week will be early 2020 defensive rankings by position, top 10 for every position and then we'll just sort of go forward from there absolutely guys make sure you're checking all that work out so so i'm just gonna have to put you on the spot we're gonna have to get you back in the summer before college football season starts you're gonna be working hard on these guys all summer and spring as matt and i do here at saturday sunday so are you down for coming back in the summer before college football season kicks off you name the time paul and i'll be here Absolutely. Guys, make sure you're following him. Make sure you're heading over to Roto World. I can't wait to check out that, you know, valuation of the UDFAs combined with the draft classes as well. It's going to be a great article to read. So please make sure you take a look at that. So on behalf of Thor, on behalf of Matt and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.